I think I probably spent 3000 or so on uh, Facebook advertising to sell all these lots, which is not bad at all. I mean, when you take into account, I don't have a realtor or giving up any commission or anything like that. It's way more expensive than like a paper list MLS listing, which we utilize those as well. Or, you know, like a land.com, which is a good solid place to list your land on. If they charge you like 500 a month or so. You know, if I'm spending three grand in three months, like a thousand per month in Facebook marketing, I'd much rather do that because again, now I have my brand and face and recognition out there. And now I got these customers coming to me. Okay, where else do you have land near Andrews? Where else do you have land in, you know, Midland or West Texas? Um, so Facebook is is super powerful. I mean, and look, some people kind of, you know, frown upon the whole guru and courses and stuff. I say, y'all, if you're going to learn the lessons one way or another, and you may not even learn about the strategies if you don't do you know, go out and see who has had success and leaves clues for you. Some choose to make programs out of it. Some write books, some do YouTube channels, but it's, it is your duty to get out there and explore what's available because no one's going to take control of your life and your wealth like you will. And, uh, you look, these, these programs, you, you do enough of them, you start to see common denominators and you form your own strategy, which you have done, John. You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, all right, Real Estate Runway family, welcome to yet another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. Proud to be back on the air with you all. I've got John Jasniak with me. He's actually sitting, for those on video, in one of his project homes in West Texas. So we'll get to hear that story in a moment. And look, if you guys get any value out of this show or anything Team Quattro or Real Estate Runway produces, just interact with it. Whatever button you see, like, subscribe, share, pay it forward. Make sure someone else sees this content. We don't do this for, for money or for fame or anything. This is just to give value to you and those like you. So make that effort, pay it forward, share it with someone. John, welcome to the show. How are you today, brother? I'm awesome, Chad. Thank you so much for having me. As you, as you mentioned, we're out here in West Texas sitting in a paint covered shirt here trying to get some work done. So it's going to be a exciting day as always. I love it. Can't wait to hear that story. And before we get into what you're doing there, tell us about you a little bit. You know, how'd you get into this world? What are you doing? You know, like, like just kind of get us to today before we talk about the meat of the show. Sure. So today, I guess I would call myself a land investor slash, you know, entrepreneur. But um, traditionally, I just went through a four-year college program came out uh, from Texas Tech as an engineer, hit the nine to five, um, never really thought I was going to start or own a business, but got into the working world and, you know, didn't really uh, dislike, so to speak, engineering what I was doing. But then, you know, as a young 20-something-year-old hit the corporate grind, it was like, man, this is not, you know, for me and what I expected. So quickly started to kind of search for avenues out of that and found land investing actually on a podcast like yours. I, I drop it all the time, the side hustle show with Nick Loper, episode 108. You had another land guru, so to speak, go on there and start talking about this business model. Like, hey, you can buy, you know, five, 10, 20 acres of land for five grand and sell it for 10, 15, 20 grand, um, you know, in all over the country, really. And so I was kind of fascinated by that concept, ended up buying his course, buying another course diving into them. And then it was actually less than a month later, I'd bought my first deal, 53 acres in Hudspeth County, which is West Texas, uh, 
paid 8,500 bucks, bought it from some dude in Florida who was flipping land like the rest of us. And I turn around and um, it was already subdivided, which do a lot of subdividing nowadays, but that one was already cut up and I sold it for like 17 G's. So doubled my money and kind of the rest is history. I started plowing out a bunch of direct mail all over West Texas and slowly snowballed, I guess, to where we're at today, kind of running a multi, multi-million dollar operation, subdividing, bought the town out here in West Texas, Cornutus. And yeah, it's been over seven years now. It's crazy. Time flies, I guess, when you're having fun. Yeah, that's right. And when you're in charge of your own destiny. So I love what you said there. I mean, and look, some people kind of, you know, frown upon the whole guru and courses and stuff. I say, y'all, if you're going to learn the lessons one way or another, and you may not even learn about the strategies if you don't do, you know, go out and see who has had success and leaves clues for you. Some choose to make programs out of it. Some write books, some do YouTube channels, but it's, it is your duty to get out there and explore what's available because no one's going to take control of your life and your wealth like you will. And uh, you look, these, these programs, you, you do enough of them, you start to see common denominators and you form your own strategy, which you have done, John. And so let's, uh, let's kind of rotate into, you just mentioned you bought a town. You kind of glossed over that. What, the, what do you mean you bought yeah. a town? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I bought the small, unincorporated town of Cornutus, Texas. It's 28 acres out, um, about 50 miles east of El Paso. And uh, we got a cafe, convenience store, motel, RV park, a few mobile homes, um, which is where I'm sitting right now. And, um, you know, I bought this sucker. It would have been early 2023. So it's been just about a year now I've owned it. And uh, it's been several hundred thousands of dollars later in improvements and everything. And we're kind of renovating everything and trying to get it back to back to life. Um, the cafe out here is famous for their burgers. And so we're bringing that back. And I might have uh, my own run at being the grill out here, uh, the chef out here for a little bit. But uh, really interesting story, man. The guy who, who sold it was um, behind in back taxes and he was about to lose the property. And basically, I just found it on Facebook. Someone, the realtor had posted on Facebook and had like over a thousand shares and like thousands and thousands of likes. And I was like, man, that's that's interesting. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so it took me kind of a while to pull the trigger on it. Uh, but here we are, uh, fast forward, paint covered and learning how to paint and build roofs and all this other stuff. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So t tell me a little bit about the, the business plan with that. So, you know, you, you, you bought this unincorporated town, 28 acre piece of land, you know, what's the intent is it's, it's to inject some money. Are you building housing? Are you renovating? Like, like what, what do you, what's the outcome you're trying to get with this thing? So Preliminarily, it's going to be kind of just a tourist pass through, you know, almost like it called a truck stop or a rest stop. We're going to have some short term rentals out here because it's close to Guadalupe Mountain National Park. So it's going to be, you know, kind of a self-contained cash flowing project with the, the cafe and convenience store, then some short term rentals. No one is really going to live out here. It's not going to have a population, so to speak. I mean, I'll have someone on site full time living, uh, but it's you know, it's not going to have a population, at least not to start. Now, the long-term, like, Goldilocks, like, potential, like, oh, my God, utopia is to grow the actual town and buy land in the desert and, you know, then, you know, start doing subdivides and carve out little lots for people to come out and live and kind of grow the desert. Like, is that even possible? Could that even happen? I don't know yet. That is, like, 
it's definitely in the future, but it's definitely a possibility. The problem out here is water. I mean, we have one well on the property that's 900 foot deep and does two gallons per minute. So, you know, finding water and um, setting up the infrastructure is beyond challenging to try and scale the town, so to speak. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so this, this kind of takes us into your strategy, you know, like, so talk a little bit about what you're doing when you say subdividing, I mean, you're acquiring land and doing what with it. Let's talk about the strategy that you've employed that has been successful for you. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about this before the show and I kind of want to hit it from a high level where the land flipping and land investing industry, I I would still say it's a niche. You don't got investor institutional money in it. So there's plenty of, you know, open grounds and feeding for the little guy like me or you who can come in and even with their own fund, such as you have to do their, do a bunch of land deals. But now you got people like myself and others coming on these podcasts, having coaching programs, et cetera. And it's starting to become a little bit more saturated. And so it's, it's not quite like house wholesaling yet or house flipping or anything like that, where you got people running TV ads and commercials and, you know, huge marketing campaigns, but it's, it's growing in size and growing in competition. And so what I've slowly begun to realize and how my business has evolved is we've started to scale and grow and do bigger deals because there's less competition. And so that leads you into subdividing, which I think subdividing land is the best way uh, to scale a land business. It might be the best way to scale any real estate business just because of the simplicity of it. You could easily buy yourself with no team, no employees, anything like that, do one subdivision and make over a million bucks and do it within a year's time. Um, so kind of the focus for me right now is buying land in bulk. I like to stay outside of city limits. People kind of have this uh, vision of subdivisions as like the DR Hortons or like these massive home builders building like site built homes. You're inside the city doing all this entitlement and engineering. We try to stay as much away from that as possible outside of city limits and find the counties and states that are very favorable and either allow you to do nothing other than survey the land or to build a gravel road, which we do in some projects, run some power, do some horizontal construction or development, so to speak, um, nothing vertical, and then sell those lots off to Joe Schmo in the city who wants to move out and live on a little to non-restricted piece of land with their livestock or mobile home or build a home or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, so give me a little bit of, uh, of economics on this. So you, you know, you're going to go buy and let's talk kind of practical size too. You're going to go buy mm-hmm. a chunk of land. I mean, what, what, what's the size of land you're looking for? And when you subdivide these lots, like what, what's the clientele, you kind of describe the clientele, but what's the, you know, are you, are you setting these up for little single family homes for massive four acre farms? Like, like t- talk size and economics a little bit. Let's walk sure. through some examples, you know? Yeah. Um, well, let's let's do an example. Like a great one uh, to do would be my Andrews County, Texas one I did um, late last year. I think we bought it in September. It was 345 acres. So, I mean, I'll do any size, really. Uh, it could be 30, 40, 50 acres as long as the economics work. But usually it's at least 100 acres, I would say. Um, most of the land now is in the 100 plus range that we're buying in bulk. So this Andrews piece, 345 acres, I bought for $510,000. It was about 1500 per acre. And um, we used some private money on that one. So I came out of pocket, I believe it was 60000 And the private guy came in with 450000 And on a five-year note at 18% interest was my private money on that. I'm paying that, that guy like 11000 per month. But on the sales side, we had 345 acres. And there's a a good kind of loophole in Texas where if you stay above 
10 plus acres and you kind of follow a couple of other little things, you can just run a surveyor out there and start selling the land immediately. So we, we got a surveyor out there. We did 32 separate uh, 10 plus acre lots. And each one of those um, sold for four to 5,000 per acre. So, you know, the total gross on the project was call it 1.5 million uh, conservatively. And then, you know, I was in it for 510, but probably 50 or 60 out of my own pocket. And all of that stuff, man, it sold so quick. It, we had that, I actually just sent out my closing package, my final one on it um, this week. So that puts us at three months to sell 32 lots. So it was a good project. Um, and I originated a bunch of notes. I like to do the owner financing game and owner finance lots off to people. So I've been slowly selling a few of those notes. I've started cashing out um, by selling those at a discount to investors. Yeah, that's pretty great. And so I guess, um, so walk, walk me through that piece a little bit. So you, you, you borrowed some of it from, you know, a good bit, 450 from a private money investor or lender, mm-hmm. um, you know, at 18 APR, which, you know, doesn't much matter what the number is when you're making gains like this. And yep. so, uh, right. And then, uh, but explain to me how you're able to own or finance, um, you know, with, with having to also pay back that individual at the same time. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, you touched on the interest rate real, uh, real quick. People sometimes get bent out of shape on that, but it's like when your project sells in three or six months or you can, you know, if shoot, if I would have offered it at three, 3000 per acre cash, like just give me 30 K for a 10 acre lot. I probably would have yeah. all this stuff sold in six months and the interest kind of becomes irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but I do like that carrying the the notes. And so what we utilize is a, a wraparound note where we wrap that second lien into the, into the first with the underlying lender. And I have a investor friendly deed of trust that we use that basically removes that due on sale clause. And it specifically says that I can get partial releases for pieces of land. So, you know, if I were to sell one of those 32 lots for cash and Joe Schmo wants to go build a beautiful home on it and his lender says, hey, we need this piece of land free and clear. I can go to my underlying lender and do a, a little prorated calculation, um, you know, one divided by 32 or 10 divided by 345 or whatever the acreage is, 10, 10.6 divided by 345 and times the remaining principal amount and write that guy a check on his private money note and hand that um, piece of land free and clear to my customer. So it's, it's, it's pretty powerful technique. And I've been surprised that because like one of the main pushbacks will be like, Oh, well, don't the customers have like an issue with this underlying lien on the property? Like, you know, they, they come and buy a piece of land for me and they say, Oh, you got a $450,000 uh, loan against the property. What's going on here? Um, surprisingly enough, I have like, when I first started doing this and I think it was 2020, like I was like, man, am I actually going to be able to sell these? And like, I've maybe lost only seven or eight deals because of that underlying, like the customers most of the time don't answer. They're just like, where's my paperwork? I'm ready to go sign, notarize and mail it back to me. I mean, a lot of times I don't even get questions on it, which is kind of, eh, I don't know. It's kind of scary, but savvy people do ask about it. Then I got to explain the whole situation, but yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I was hoping you'd go there with it. And, and I guess, uh, you know, there are some deals you have to, you have to go ahead and take, you know, up either, cash plus another loan or, or a full payout to just to, you know, where you, you can replace that loan if you wanted to. So, so that's pretty, uh, it's pretty powerful technique. Um, okay. So, so we've kind of established the, you know, acquire a piece of land, subdivide it, sell it to individuals. How are you find like, how are you marketing? How are you finding the, the client 
you know, what client are you targeting? Let's talk a little bit because it, I mean, you can, you can go set this whole thing up, borrow some money from a private lender, but if yeah. you don't have a path, if you can't show that lender the path to sell these, probably not going to give you the loan. Right. So, so how do you, True. how do you kind of build that out and convince them and all that kind of stuff? Well, let's touch on two sides here, both how I find the deal and then how I sell it and find my clients. Let's, um, let's start with the sales side first, consider uh, because you asked, uh, it's funny because I just got a text from looking at my phone here real quick from my client who's like, what kind of deal can we work on this piece of land? Like it's got to the point where we've done so much marketing, have so much stuff coming up. It's like, it's scary, man. Like the amount of people coming to me for, for land is kind of insane. Um, we do a lot of Facebook ads. So that's been super powerful um, for me. We do Facebook marketplace and, you know, what I like to do is leave my marketplace posts up. So I probably got 30 or 40 just organically sitting up, but so does my ops manager. Um, we're running business page, Facebook ads on it. On a big project like this, um, such as the Andrews one, we would run both Facebook marketplace and Facebook business page ads. And so I think I probably spent 3000 or so on uh, Facebook advertising to sell all these lots, which is not bad at all. I mean, when you take into account, I don't have a realtor or giving up any commission or anything like that. It's way more expensive than like a paper list MLS listing, which we utilize those as well. Or, you know, like a land.com, which is a good solid place to list your land on. If they charge you like 500 a month or so, you know, if I'm spending three grand in three months, like a thousand per month in Facebook marketing, I'd much rather do that because again, now I have my brand and face and recognition out there. And now I got these customers coming to me. Okay. Where else do you have land near Andrews? Where else do you have land in, you know, Midland or West Texas? Um, so Facebook is is super powerful. And one thing I like to utilize for the lenders, you you asked that, like, how, how can you ensure these lenders are, you know, getting good collateral on the land is actually going to sell? A kind of proprietary thing I, I like to think of it as is the Facebook demand test is kind of something that I've coined. And I tell all my students and all my guys, this is what any big subdivide. And I do it anytime I go into a new area. We pretty much like, I don't know, have you ever been on like Instagram or social media and you see like e-com ads and you click into the page and it looks like, man, this is something bogus. Like what's going on here? Um, yeah, that yeah. is like people on the back end running ads and seeing what their cost per click is, how much it's going to cost them to acquire a customer, etc. And so we do the same thing with land before we even buy the land. We throw up a Facebook ad and run 100, 200, 300 bucks to it. Keep it simple and see what our cost per message is. Like anything under 10 bucks, you got yourself a pretty good project. Anything under $5 per lead per message, message is a lead in this case. You're like, man, this is, there's a lot of demand for this land. Mm -hmm. So we actually post it up like coming soon and see what our demand is before we buy it. And then I presume you can put a nice little package together with some history on that and be like, hey, Mr. Uh, Mr. Private Lender, this is why it's going to sell. And here's how exactly. a couple other projects yep. are done. Yeah. And uh, real quick, another good tips, because like Texas is a non-disclosure state. So people are always like, oh, how can I comp this land? Or, you know, how can I, you know, obviously you can find someone to pull MLS uh, sales for you. Like that's pretty solid. But what I like to do is if you go to like Texas file is texasfile.com is the Texas system. And kind of every state has their own online, like clerk or recorder or courthouse database. And you go in there and yeah, it's a non-disclosure state, but when I originate these notes, I have to record a deed of trust and a warranty deed with vendors lien. And it has that, um, the note that my customer is carrying right on there. So like, I'll go and find any nearby developments of 10 acres in this case and see what sort of deed of trusts, warranty deeds have been recorded. 
and see what their principal is that they're paying on. And I assume like a 10% down payment they gave the the lender or the bank, and you can back yourself into a, a direct comparable sale. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it is a non-disclosure state, but uh, maybe not so much for lending versus ownership, right? So uh, yes. I've never explored that side of things. That makes That makes a lot of sense. And so let's let's kind of flip the coin over for a second, John. So we, we've we've kind of gone through the strategy, you know. But um, you mentioned that you on this one Andrews deal we were talking about, you had a four hundred fifty thousand dollar private lender, right? Well, just so happens on this show, there is a lot of individuals who are looking to invest in things like this, lend money, invest money, things of that sort on an equity side. So how do, how does it work? for an investor of your company? What, what are, you know, what types of, of loan security do they have? We kind of alluded to some of it, but let's talk about yeah. the experience that someone who wanted to lend on one of these subdivision projects might look like, you know? Sure. So, um, a investor who lends on a project like this is going to get first lien fully collateralized by the land. So, uh, we de-risk it basically by, you know, stepping them into the seller's shoes, so to speak. I like to do a lot of seller financing, but a lot of these sellers are like, no, I want my cash today. Maybe it's an estate or whatever. And the piece of land is so good. I'm like, God, I'd rather have a seller financing deal, but you know, let me bring in a private guy. So in steps the private guy or girl, and we do like kind of a, just a short, like one or two pager, like, okay, this is kind of what I expect the project to look like, how long it's going to take to sell price points, kind of a basic underwriting. And then, um, you know, a lot of people I'm fortunate because of the social media following and kind of my name and everything now. So it's like, okay, a lot of people can see the vision. Um, trust me, which trust and credibility is a huge deal, especially as a beginner. That's why it could be challenging for a beginner to go out and raise 450,000. I don't recommend it. Um, cause you do have to be responsible with other people's money, but from the investor side here, they're, it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, it does, but they're only receiving payments from jazz land. Uh, that's my main land entity. So they're getting a check in a month from jazz land. But at the end of the day, if something were to happen to me or the project, um, mainly if something happens to me or I don't pay or whatever, they're bulk chunk land at what I found it at, which is probably a smoking deal. It's probably 60, 70, 80 cents on the dollar as is as a giant chunk. And they got first lien on that. So they're just going to take that land back and they're going to list it and sell it or subdivide it themselves. A lot of these investors are pretty land savvy and they do a simple subdivide themselves. So the risk to them is, you know, something happening to me or the project going sideways. But at the end of the day, they have first lien on the land. They're going to take that sucker back and um, probably just list it with a broker or, or a realtor at, you know, 70 to 80 cents on the dollar and still make a little bit of money. And they got a deed of trust with a promissory note secured. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, even just to, to be clear, even at the basis that you're buying these at, like, okay, maybe you don't get your full two years of interest if things really went sideways, but you yeah. can probably still recover principal, <laughs> especially yeah, if, you, if you've got some money in the deal too. Yeah, and I think you'd make a little bit of money as an investor. Like the Andrews County one that I bought at 510000 per acre, as is, I think you could probably sell that thing for 2000 or 2500 um per acre. So it's kind of, you know, the trust is in my uh, skill, I guess, in finding deals or any operator that you're working with as an investor, yeah. like, is it a good deal? That's what we're, we're lending on the real estate, hopefully. And it's like you, in real estate, obviously you make the money on the buy side. So that's the, the key. So, so give some nuggets to my listener base here, you know, as a private investor looking at maybe funding a land flipping or, or land subdivision deal, you know, they're, 
probably I'm saying in, in rare cases, will they be the expert? They're probably going to be relying on you to be the expert, but what are yes. some, um, you know, whether they're working with you or anyone out there, what are some main diligence points that an investor could do to say, Hmm, okay, I think I believe in this deal and I can validate what, you know, John or someone like John is telling me. Well, you're going to want to find some comparables or pricing, as I just mentioned, on the acreage as a, as a whole in bulk. You you don't want to you don't want the operator being myself uh, presenting you a project where the the land is being bought like at full market value. You want to get that whole piece of land at a at a good deal. That way, you know your collateral is is in a good spot. Um, you obviously want a credible, um, experienced operator. Uh, I think it's important for them to ask, you know, whoever's running the project, hey, what other subdivisions have you done in the past? And, you know, show me some evidence that you can actually actually do this. I think from the mechanic standpoint, there's really two ways to structure it. Some investors just like the interest and in getting the monthly checks. I think 16 to 18 percent as a private money person is fair. Um, if they're looking to get out of the deal or cash out sooner, I mean, you could incentivize or, you know, kind of work towards, hey, let's get the investor preferred returns, pay them out first, then some sort of profit split, whether it's 50-50 or it's, it's usually anywhere from 50-50 to 70-30 in favor of the operator. So the investor would be getting, you know, 30 to 50% of the profit and getting paid out first. That's a good way to structure it. Um, you know, you want to make sure that there's title insurance and the property is free and clear. Obviously, the stickier and hairier the situation, the the riskier it is. We close all these massive projects with title insurance and it's all, you know, T's are crossed and I's are dotted type deal. Then the market, you want to make sure you're in a good, good market and this land is actually going to sell. I mean, are there sales for the smaller acreage lots that the subdivider is proposing? I mean, I've never had a issue to date, knock on wood, where the land hasn't sold. Sometimes it takes longer than others. Like I'm running one right now that's pushing a year and we're only like 70 or 80% sold out. I was like, man, I'm probably not going to do another deal in that that market that was Fort Stockton, Texas. Um, but you know, I've every project still I go into, I'm like, man, I'm nervous. Like, is this actually going to sell? Like I've done this dozens of times, but I still get like the butterflies. Like, am I actually going to sell all this land? And every single time it sells, um, at a, a pretty decent pace. Sometimes it outperforms other times it, it slows and is a little bit less than what we think, but you know, you, you gotta be, you don't want to buy a piece of land and that isn't going to be able to sell and the market isn't there and, and going to be able to sell in a timely manner. So I think the sales for the smaller lots and the velocity, so to speak. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess the you know the last question I've got here before we get into, you know, some of your programs and things of that sort, what, uh, so on the, on the land itself, you know, like for example, when I, when I go buy an apartment building or a self storage building, right, I've got to go get, you know, an environmental study and make sure it's safe for people to live on, like all sorts of stuff like that. What sort of, of diligence in the state of Texas, which is really where you operate, what sort yeah. of diligence on the land are you needing to do before you can subdivide and sell off, if any? I mean, it may not be a big thing in Texas. So this is one of the major components, if not the biggest component of subdividing and why it's so important to know what you're doing, because you don't want to buy a piece of land and figure out that you need to have some crazy study or engineering deal done on it, and it's going to blow up your economics. Um, and it depends on state and it depends on county. Texas does make it pretty simple. Um, if you're outside of city limits, 99% of the times, you're not going to have any issues. There's going to be no restrictions. Um, you keep it over 10 acres, you're 
probably going to be okay with just a survey. You need to double check with the counties because some counties are going to want a drainage study. Um, if you're building roads, like if you're trying to go under 10 acres and do a major subdivide, which we're doing right now in West Texas, we, we're doing a 20-foot wide caliche gravel road. But some counties are going to want you to do a 25, 26-foot wide paved road, which is going to cost you you know, $150 per linear foot versus $20 per linear foot on a gravel road. And it's going to blow up your economics. So you got to know what you're getting into going in. And if you just Google the county, you know, call it Andrews County subdivision regulations, pretty much every county, whether it's Texas, Tennessee, Virginia has a PDF. That's the first thing you want to do is pull up that PDF, start getting familiar with what they're going to require. Then you're going to want to get on the phone with uh, the county, whether they have a planning and zoning. Some of them have a subdivision coordinator. Some of them it's straight to the commissioners or the commissioner's court. And you're going to want to say, hey, this is this is kind of what I'm proposing. What are you going to make me do? And what I always tell folks is I'll actually do like a Google Earth mock-up and screenshot like my polygons and how I'm going to cut this land up. And I will get with the county and provide that to them. Like, hey, this is kind of what we're planning on doing, the acreage size, the location, what do you think? Um, you know, I'm reading the regulations and saying I can get away with a gravel road or I don't need to do a road. What What are you guys thinking? And just make sure you're on the same page. And uh, another good tip is you can actually email loop in the county attorney before the project starts on some of these subdivision regulations. The the county sometimes can be a little tricky and they they don't know what they're doing or they don't. The county people don't know how to enforce it. And so you got to go to the attorney and kind of loop them in pre project on an email. Yeah, that's good stuff, John. So this is this is a really insightful insightful show we're doing here. I mean, this is it, it's it's simple, but it's like if you know what you're doing, it's simple, you know. And yeah. so you know, let, let's pivot a little bit. I got a couple of questions I want to ask you, and and folks, hang around because we're going to get into you know how you can learn a little more about this. There's no way John can teach us everything there is to know about this in one episode, whether you are a potential investor of this or you know a student. So first question, John. What is your superpower? Could be life or business, and uh, how does it serve you well? I think it's either. I think finding deals, like finding real estate deals, but at a, at a more high level, I think it's the ability to learn and to learn quickly. I don't know. I pick. I feel like I pick things up relatively quick, and I just kind of plow all that into the land game. And I, I love finding deals. So, like, I don't know. I'm constantly on land.com, realtor.com, just like scanning, looking for deals. A good thing that people can do, whether it's land or multifamily or commercial, whatever it is, single family, is just do like mock underwritings. So like I'll find a piece of land that I think is a deal. And like, I'll do a quick 10, 15 minute underwrite. Like, okay, how am I going to subdivide this? How's the economics going to look? What am I going to need to pay for roads, et cetera? Look at the regulations. Oh shoot. They want paved roads. I can't do it. And so like the more times you just look at deals and do those mock underwritings, like you just become secondhand for you and boom, next time you see a project, it just sticks right out and you, you know, it's a deal. Yeah. You got to know what they look and smell like. And you got to, you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find the deal. It's, it's, it's <laughs> how it goes. But, I like it. All right. So uh, next question, what is your biggest failure? Just talk about a time things didn't go well. Yeah, man. Um, I'm dealing with it right now. Actually, it's this subdivision we have going in Howard, Howard County, Texas. And this started back in, Late 2020, we bought the project. We didn't know the subdivision regulations. This was like one of my first subdivides. And I had an engineer, surveyor say, oh, you can do it this way. And I just relied on him and didn't do my own research, which is a big learning experience and no-no. And he made this thing up. 
And we thought we we're all good. And we actually started selling off the lots. And then the county came back to us and said, no, this isn't an actual approved legal subdivision. We need you to plat this. And then lo and behold, to go through the platting process, we had to go back to all the customers we sold to, <clears throat> get them to sign. They wanted us to do some ridiculous roadways and fire suppression systems. And this was like dry land. Like how are you going to do a fire suppression system with a holding tank of like 3,000 gallons when you can't even get a well out there? Like there's no way that's happening. So we ended up finding a couple of loopholes, long story short, and um, we got it pretty much got pushed to the finish line now. But one of my customers, he got really upset and threatened to uh, sue us, actually. So we're going through that now. Um, he's making it what I think are a couple of outlandish claims, like you didn't build a paved road. And I'm like, dude, the county subdivision regs never even said you needed a paved road. And so just things like that. But at the end of the day, we're going to refund him um, his money. Uh I think that's the most appropriate thing to do if someone is that upset. I, I usually don't like doing refunds. Like I'm a no refund type of guy, but like there are certain situations, this being one of them, I don't want to get involved in a lawsuit. I know he doesn't want to get involved in a lawsuit. The dude's a good guy. He just wants his money back. So we're just going to refund him. Uh, but it's a big learning experience for everybody, I think. Yeah, it's amazing. The The devil is always in the details, folks. I, I mean, it's uh, what you don't know can be a problem. So do your research, whether you're <laughs> investing or doing deals and uh, or, or, you know, talk with someone who has. But and I'm curious, just, you know, the, uh, the the engineer who said that was OK. I mean, I'm sure he probably has errors and omissions insurance. Was that not considered an error on his part? It's a good question. Um it's so long now and the state regulations have changed for subdividing. I think it'd probably be a little bit hard to fight him, fight him on it, but I should have like, that's a good point. Like back uh, a year or two ago, I should have been like, Hey, uh, y'all pay for my new engineering reports and fire suppression system or, or whatever. Uh, but I think it just at a larger scope, it just goes to show like so many folks who do this think you can just call up the engineer, call up the surveyor and they're going to know like, okay, this is what you can do. This is how you can subdivide it. Like folks, a lot of times the county officials don't even know. That's why I said you need to loop in the county attorney because these regulations and, and things can be complicated and people, you know, let's be honest. I mean, the, people just don't care enough to to know the regulations, to read the law. This stuff can get, like you said, devils in, in, in the details. And so you really need to know what you're doing and always do the research yourself or at least double check and verify it. Yeah. And then the world of policymaking is, is difficult. I mean, things are never yeah. going to cover every scenario out there. So just, just know that. Right? Definitely. All right. Next question. Let's hop to some of the, you know, the, the stuff you're doing from a coaching perspective, you know, uh, books, materials, things of that sort. What, what do you have out there to help people learn how to invest slash do subdivide deals like this? Yeah, I try to put out a lot of free stuff. If you just go to johnjazniak.com forward slash land, got a free course, got a free book. My YouTube is growing. I'm putting more emphasis into that. We we spend a lot of time and energy. We were just filming more, filming more content yesterday, just case studies, how to's, um, more entertainment stuff, crazy stuff. Um, but, you know, all that free stuff, you could really figure it out if, if you wanted to, I think, with some blood, sweat and tears. But yeah, we do have a a private program where I got the course and we got, I think it's close to a hundred folks. Now we do a private WhatsApp chat. It's all led by me walking folks through how to, how to navigate these regulations, how to find the deals, everything down to like, Hey, my Facebook ads not getting approved. Like, how do I fix it? It's, it's pretty crazy. The granularity we get into in there. Um, so yeah, that is, it's a tricky world out there, especially when subdividing it's, I was thinking about this the other day. What's the saying? It's like simple, but not easy. Like it's simple, but not easy. Like, yes, it's, 
you can do this. Anyone can do this from anywhere, but is it easy? Like it takes work. Like this is not a get rich quick scheme, you know? It never is. (laughs) And with that mic drop moment, John, it's been a pleasure (laughs) having you on the show. I appreciate you calling in from an active job site you're on in West Texas and, uh, you know, look forward to watching your continued success, but thanks for coming on the show and sharing some nuggets with our people. And uh, yeah, just appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me, Chad. I enjoyed it. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. As we mentioned in the beginning, if you got any value out of the show, folks, pay it forward. Share the show with someone, like it, subscribe, you know, comment, just do something to interact with it to where the algorithms will say, hey, I enjoyed watching this show. I'll show it to other people. Okay. With that being said, this has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast signing off for now. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.